All right, so we are in Acts chapter 12 today. Um, we are in the middle of this journey through the book of Acts, and um, hope it's been as good for you as it has been for me. This morning, I'm going to get you to talk among yourselves for just a few minutes, and here's what you're going to talk about. Jerks. Do you know any? <laughs> well, I can't talk to the people next to me because he's the jerk I'm thinking about. Um, <laughs> I've lost you already, haven't I? So I don't usually tell you what the titles of the messages are, but this morning's title is Three Good Butts. Three Good Butts. And, um, and it's all about a jerk. And so just to kind of get the juices flowing a little bit, I'm going to give you the chance just to take a few minutes with the people around you, and I want you to talk about jerks in your life that you have encountered. Jerks in your life that you have encountered. Maybe don't say their names out loud. Go. Just talk about the jerks. Go. I found a jerk. She's sitting right in front of me. She's eating breakfast burritos in front of me as I teach. Can I get a snap on that? Can we get a snap? It's yeah. awesome. You're not really a jerk permanently, but right now you definitely are. Um, so it's possible that you're here for the first time. It's also possible that you're here and you don't really even know about Jesus. You don't, you're not sure if you even have bought into Jesus. Um, but even if you haven't bought into Jesus, you already know to be true what we have learned in the book of Acts to this point. And that is, there's a whole lot of ups and downs in life, right? And there's also jerks. So I'm not going to ask you to name the people that you said, but I can imagine bosses, because they're bossy. And um, <laughs> so, like I said, <laughs> um, the IRS comes to mind. Something happening tomorrow, right? Um, yeah, taxes. Um, sometimes family members. Definitely professors. Is that too? Um, we just encounter jerks. And so right here in Acts chapter 12, we're going to encounter a jerk. So let me just, I need to get a couple things clear because I want you to fill in the big idea. And I want to clear up a couple terms. And then we'll, we'll dive in. The big idea today is the church, the church is an unstoppable force. The church is an unstoppable force. Now, honestly, we probably could stop right now, and that's all we need, because that's good stuff. The church, look around the room, the church, people in this place, is an unstoppable force. And that's what we're going to learn in Acts chapter 12. Um, here's what I mean by church. By church, I mean the larger worldwide body of Christ, not just the local church. Okay? What do I mean by body? The, the Bible talks about the body as, as the body of Christ. The church is the body. So everybody has a part to play, right? So I'm looking around the room, and some of you are definitely the face of the body of Christ. You just, you got the look, right? And then there's me and others like me. I'm like the armpit of the body of Christ, right? Which is hidden but very necessary because if you didn't have an armpit, you'd be like this, right? You would not be able to get your arm down. It would be awkward to eat. You'd have to feed each other. Um, some, of you are, some of you are like a toe. Some of you are the part between the toe, right? Ooh. But all of us have a part to play, and so the body, that's the body of Christ, okay? 
So again, look around the room. See how different we are? That's a good thing, right? It's a great thing. We don't all want to be the same part of the body. So we talk about the church, talking about the large church, not just the local church. We talk about the body, we're talking about the parts of the body that make up the body of Christ. Just another term in the Bible for church. And by jerk, we mean, specifically in this passage, anybody who tries to stand in the way of the church or the body. Okay? So now, now maybe your boss doesn't count. But I'm sure in your lifetime you have encountered people who tried to stop what Jesus was doing in your life. And according to Acts chapter 12, today we can call them jerks. Doesn't that feel good? Jerk's a fun word to say, isn't it? You look at somebody and go, you're a jerk. You just feel better, right? Acts chapter 12. Here we go. We're going to read, see how it's an, the church is an unstoppable force. And because the church is an unstoppable force, there's three things we should do. Your first blank, number one, we should pray again. Okay? Let me just, I'm going to kind of try to walk you through this chapter so you know what's going on. Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It's about that time that King Herod, um, if you read the Bible at all, you, you'll read the, the name Herod a lot. There's lots of Herods in the Bible. This Herod is the grandson of of Herod the Great, who was the king when Jesus was born, okay? So they all just named each other Herod, and they changed their, like, Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa the First. How would you like to be Herod Agrippa the Second? Like, looking at your father going, could you not come up with a better second name? Agrippa? Seriously? Um, but this is the grandson of the Herod that was king when Jesus was born. So, Herod, King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. So he did not arrest them to have a party with them. He arrested them to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, let me just make sure you kind of see what's going on here. Remember when we talked about Saul and he, how he persecuted the church? If you watch the Bible on TV, the miniseries, and he was that guy just persecuting the church. He at least did it with good motives, right? He really believed he was doing the right thing by killing Christians. Herod is just doing it for political convenience. He just wants to show off a little bit. You know what? I'm going to arrest some Christians, and I'm going to take care of them. And when I do, the Jews are going to love me even more. I'm going to have more power, more influence, so I'll just keep doing it. And so that's the only reason why he's arrested these Christians. He arrests James. James is not just any follower of Christ. He's one of the original 12. And he's not just any one of the original 12. He's one of what's called the inner three. The inner three, that sounds like a superhero gang, doesn't it? We are the inner three. But that's what Peter, James, and John were called. I just want you to just jot some of these scriptures down, okay? So you can look them up later and see. These are places where you see in the New Testament that those three are mentioned together. Matthew 17, 1. Matthew 26, 37. Mark 5, 37. Mark 9, 2. Matthew 17, 1. Matthew 26, 37. Mark 5, 37. And Mark 9, 2. And what you read when you read those passages, it'll say things like this. Um, and Jesus left the, tw left the disciples and took Peter, James, and John and went up on the mount, well, like one of them is the Mount of Transfiguration. So they went, Jesus had a light show, right? And they went up and saw it. One of them is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is praying, he's about to die. And it says that all of them went to the garden, 
But then he left the disciples and took Peter, James, and John, the inner three, further over. So these guys, man, they had access to Jesus, right? You ever go to a concert? You listen to the band? It's awesome, and you're thinking, God, to give anything to have a backstage pass now. These guys had the backstage pass to Jesus. They're in the inner three. So let me just make sure you're hearing what I'm telling you. If there's anybody that you would assume would be delivered from hard times, would it not be James? He's in the inner three. And his fate is, in one verse, Herod had James, the brother of John, in parentheses, one of the inner three, put to death with the sword. I'm trying to be very careful here because there's a lot of teaching that goes around that says if you're just close enough to Jesus, you'll never have a problem. Apparently that teaching's not scriptural because James was in the inner three, hard to get much closer to Jesus than that. And he was put to death with the sword. Now when, Saul di- when Stephen died, he got martyred. Remember he was the first martyr? He got like a whole chapter. He got a whole sermon. He got to see Jesus stand up. He got the whole deal. James got like five words. And he's in the inner three. So I just want to make sure we have a little bit of clarity about what goes on sometimes with Christians. You can't just look at James and say, oh, you had a bad day. Hmm. You picked the wrong day to backslide, dude. If you'd have been walking with Jesus, you'd have been delivered. He walked with Jesus. He was in the inner three. He was put to death. So is it fair to say that James got stopped? Not a trick question. Yes, but I've told you the big idea today is what? The church is an unstoppable force, but James got stopped, right? Because sometimes individual parts of a body get stopped, but does the body get stopped? No. I mean, like, last night at the volleyball game, if if the other team had taken out one of the players, Pfeiffer's team's still playing, and they're still going to win, even if they only had five guys out there. Right? Unstoppable. The church, the large body that we're a part of is an unstoppable force. Even if a member, even if a really important member gets stopped. I think of Rick Warren, who just last week, his son committed suicide. Rick Warren, the dude that wrote The Purpose Driven Life, his son committed suicide. It can feel like in that moment we got stopped. But the church is an unstoppable force. And even in a time like that, even in the worst times, the church kept moving forward. As a matter of fact, it's not in the Bible. It's in church history. A really smart guy, Eusebius, an early church historian, recorded that the soldier who was guarding James in the prison was so overwhelmed by James's Christian witness that he also publicly said, I'm a believer, and was beheaded right next to James. So did the church get stopped? No. Even in the death of one of the most important people in the church, the church kept growing. It grew by one member because one guy was died. died. I love that. So you're guarding James, right? And he's so close to Jesus, even in prison, that you end up saying, hey, hold on a second. Don't just behead him. Behead me too. Why? Well, because I want what he's got. You want to be beheaded? No, I want Jesus because he's got something real. The church is an unstoppable force. Now, what I want you to understand is this. That takes place 
Herod, who loves political power, sees how the Jews react. And the Bible says because he saw how the Jews reacted, he arrested Peter. So it's kind of like, remember back when this, the war started and we had the deck of cards with like Al-Qaeda and all the most important people? That's kind of what they're doing now. He's kind of going through, oh, oh, well, I got, I got James. I got one of the inner three. You know what? I'll get Peter next. I'll have two of the inner three. He's going after the major players, and he arrests Peter, and he puts him in jail. What do you think is going to happen to Peter? Pizza party? No. If he killed James, he's probably going to want to kill Peter. And so verse 5 says, so Peter was kept in prison, and here's the first but. This is three good buts, the first good but. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I love that. How did the church respond to the death of James and the, and the arrest of Peter? They prayed again. They prayed for Peter to be delivered even after their prayers for James appeared to go unanswered. They prayed earnestly. I love that word. It literally means stretching out as far as you can for something. It's related to the medical term that describes the stretching of a muscle to its limits. So you couldn't, they could not have prayed any harder than they did. For Peter. It's the same word used about Jesus when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when the Bible says he, he prayed so hard that he sweated blood. You're really intense when you're sweating blood. Let's all try it right now. <sighs> Can't do it. Can you imagine being that earnest in prayer? Like you're Jesus and you're praying and you look down and you just see blood dropping onto the rocks? You're in prayer at that point, right? And that's the same word that's used here. That's how hard the church was praying for Peter. And what I want you to understand is not just that they prayed that passionately, but they prayed that passionately after James was beheaded. I asked you in your notes, have you ever had a prayer go unanswered? And how did that affect you when you prayed the next time? Did you jump all in again? Or did you find yourself going, well, I don't know. God didn't seem to answer the last question. I mean, the last prayer, maybe he won't answer this one either. Uh, healing is one of those that comes to my mind. If you've ever prayed for somebody to be healed, and then, like, you look at them, and they're not any different, and then somebody else walks up and goes, hey, can you pray for me to be healed? Typically, what we say is, uh, okay, but we're not real earnest about it. Because we'd start to doubt. But the early church did not. They were still all in, even after James was beheaded. When we understand that the church is an unstoppable force, We'll not only pray, but we will pray again. Number two, so they prayed again. They believed that what God was building couldn't be stopped. They kept praying in spite of the odds. And Peter, God did something amazing for Peter. At just the right time, the Bible says in verse 6, the night before Herod was going to bring him to the trial, which, which means the night before he was going to be killed, God delivered Peter. I love this. Peter is sleeping between two soldiers. So normally you would have, well, you'd, you'd be in jail, you'd be here, there'd be one person, y'all would be handcuffed together, they'd be chained together with just one person, but Herod was so sure he did not want Peter to get away, he doubled it, and he put another guy on this side. So he's sleeping in between two, two guards, they're handcuffed, he's being guarded by 16 guards, it says that in verse 4, he'd been handed over to four squads of four soldiers each, so there's 16 people guarding Peter, while he's sleeping handcuffed between two guys, he's sleeping the night before he's going to be killed. He's sleeping. That's, 
That's either peace or insane, one of the two, right? The angel, verse 7, any of you really deep sleepers? Hands? Okay, this is your verse right here, verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in a cell. He struck Peter on the side to wake him up. Dude, that's a heavy sleeper. Angel shows up, and he's like, Peter. Peter! Wake up! Come on, man, what are you doing? The angel has to wake him up. I love that. Can you imagine Peter like trying to hit the snooze angel? <laughs> Stop. Nine more minutes. Nine more minutes. <laughs> so Peter wakes up. It says the chains fell off of Peter's wrists instantly. The angel said, put on your clothes and sandals again. It's like, what's up with Peter? Like the angel has to wake him up and tell him to get dressed, right? Put on your clothes. Peter did that. Wrap your cloak around you. Follow me, the angel said. In verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, which, by the way, the Greek term for there is the same word where we get automatic. So it just automatically opened for them. And let me just say this to you guys, okay? Bonus teaching. I don't know what obstacles you might face in your life, but sometimes we spend a lot of time worrying about the obstacles before we ever even get to them. But according to this, if you'll just chill and follow the angel, follow the leading of this Holy Spirit, when you actually do get to the obstacle that you're so worried about, God can automatically move it out of your way. That's really good to know. So you just take the next step and then the next step and don't worry about what's down the road because God can take care of that when you arrive to the iron gate. So he walks out. Um, it says when they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Now, I want you to understand something. It's easy to read the Bible and say, well, that's the Bible, right? You ever do that? Well, that's the Bible. That didn't happen today. I found this story. From F.F. F. Bruce, he's a theologian. He's, it's about a Tibetan Christian. Here's what it says. The Tibetan Christian was in prison for preaching the gospel. He was thrown into a well, and a cover was set over it and securely locked. He would be left in the well until he died, and he could see the bones and rotting corpses of those who had already perished in there. That's a nice thing to do, isn't it? Be down in a well, looking around at all the bones and corpses, and you know that's going to be you. On the third night of his imprisonment, he heard someone unlock the cover of the well and remove it. A voice told him to take hold of the rope that was being lowered. So Sundar, that was his name, was grateful that the rope had a loop he could put his foot in because his, he had injured his arm when he fell down into the well. He was raised up. The cover was replaced and locked. But when he looked to thank his rescuer, he could find no one. When morning came, he went back to the same place he was arrested and started preaching again. This is what crazy people do. Right? Do you remember a, a few chapters ago in Acts, we talked about how Peter was first arrested and the angel... Like all the chains and the doors opened up and he went right back out to the square the next morning and started preaching. Because that was the, the chapter when they were like, where are those guys at? And the one guy looked out the window and go, hey, look, the guys that you're arrested for preaching, they're preaching. Same thing. Crazy people do this. Or people that are nuts about Jesus. They go right back to the same place and they just keep on preaching. So he goes back out and he starts preaching again. News of the preaching came to the official who had had him arrested and Sundar was brought before him again. 
When the official said someone must have gotten the key and released him, they searched for the key and found it on the official's own belt. I love that. Somebody took the key. Find the key. Oh, I found the key. I love that. I mean, he doesn't just deliver Peter in Acts. He delivers Sundar. He delivers me. He delivers you. Because the church is an unstoppable force. So after Peter realizes that he's been set free, verse 12, it says that when he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. They were still praying because they were praying earnestly. They were stretching their muscles out as far as they possibly could on behalf of Peter. Even after, even after James had been killed, they were praying again. In verse 15, we find that the church who had prayed again, even in a difficult time, did not believe that God would actually answer their prayers. Love this. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, verse 13, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. I love that. This is great. She just takes off. And Peter's like, hello. Hello. And she goes back and tells him. And what do they say in 15? You're out of your mind. Okay, wait. You're praying for Peter to be released. Rhoda says he's at the door. And you say you're out of your mind. Is that too much like us? We pray for something, and then it appears that God has answered the prayer, and our first response is not, hallelujah, it's, seriously? Really? You did that? No, <laughs> no, not really. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, because she's a woman, which is a good quality, I guess, they said it must be his angel. <laughs> so first, you're out of your mind. And then she won't stop. She won't shut up. So they're like, okay, fine. Somebody's there, yeah, but it's his angel. What does that mean, it's his angel? It means that they, they're praying, but they expect him to be killed. I mean, do you, do you see that? These are not people of faith. They don't believe God can really answer the prayer that they're praying, even though they're praying it earnestly, which is weird. And even if he did answer it, he answered it by having Peter killed, and now his angel's here. The amount of faith that you and I have is never as important as the object of it. Let me explain it this way. Um, I could show the clip from Toy Story, but that's going way, 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 way back, right? When Buzz Lightyear believed with all of his heart, if toys have hearts, that he could fly. And when he jumped off, because he believed he could fly, and the music was swelling, and where did he end up? Broken on the ground. Listen, a lot of faith in very thin ice, you're going to get wet. A little faith in a whole lot of ice, you're okay. Now, is it better to have a lot of faith in a lot of ice? Uh-huh. You enjoy skating a whole lot more. But who you're putting your faith in is so much more important than how much faith you're putting in them. I, mean, I want you to understand something. They didn't have faith. And I, and I know that's a buzzword right now, and it's all about me. you got to have faith, man. Have faith. Yes, absolutely. But they didn't. 
They prayed a prayer and didn't even believe it could happen. So do we. But if we really believe that the church is an unstoppable force, guess what we do? We look again. Second good but, verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. I'm sure he was a little irritated, right? I'm not an angel. Just open the door. If anybody's ever going to say freaking, it was right there in the Bible, right? He's just like, open this thing up. I'm, I'm quickly, and he's like, quickly, open it. He told him to be quiet. He didn't want anybody to know where he was. Verse 17. And he said, go tell James and the brothers about this. And then he left for another place. Can we ask ourselves this honest question? Have we stopped looking? Have we allowed fear and disappointment and doubt to make us not open the door again? See, when we're pretty sure the church can be stopped, we don't look again. We pray one time, it doesn't happen, James gets beheaded, we never pray again. Peter gets arrested, we're just like, well, Jesus be with you. But when you believe it's an unstoppable force, you pray again, and you pray with earnest. When you believe it's an unstoppable force and you hear a knock at the door, you look, and then you look again. You go to people and say, God answer my prayer, and they go, you're crazy. You look again. Maybe you need to look again. Maybe it's possible that the prayer has been answered. What have you prayed for for so long that you started to think it will never happen? Salvation of a loved one. A new job. A job. You ever pray for something for so long you start to not believe it's going to happen? John 10.10, 10, just jot that down, says this, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. Do you know what the, you know what the enemy loves to steal? He loves to steal our belief that Jesus will come. Jesus said, no, no, that's what the enemy does, but I have come. He steals the belief that Jesus will come, but he will come. He will come through. When we believe that the church is an unstoppable force, it changes the way we see our circumstances. So don't stop looking. Mark 14, 38 says, keep watch and pray. Open the door many times. Because the answer will come. Number three. After the answer to prayer, um, Herod kind of freaked out a little bit. It says in verse 18, in the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. It's a nice way to put it. After Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and then had them killed. Which is, is, is what you did back in the day. God, aren't you glad that didn't happen today? Like we screw up and get killed. <laughs> um, Mom, I can't find my tennis shoes. Kill him kill him <laughs> honey where'd you say the ketchup was just kill him <laughs> just, just kill him you run a stop sign <laughs> dead right I mean thankfully right it's not like that today 
Gee whiz. I mean, this is like you go to the job and make a mistake, you're dead. All of us would be dead, we'd be dead tomorrow. I would be dying right now because I've made a lot of mistakes already at my job. We'd just be like, gone, dead. So he cross-examined them, can't find Peter, kill him. Herod's not having a good day. So then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. <laughs> he killed him and took a vacation. Awesome. What a jerk. Right? What a jerk. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now they joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Verse 21, here's the big climax. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a, delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. Now, we're treading into pretty serious waters. If, and maybe it's already happened in your life, if somebody ever walks up to you while you're talking and they say, you are a god and not a man, it's very critical that your next statement is, oh, no, 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 I'm not a god. No, no, I am just a man. Herod, on the other hand, because he's a jerk, didn't correct him. Verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. I know this is terrible, but this verse always reminds me of professional athletes. Not because they have worms, but I, I look at, sometimes you see people that are in the spotlight, and they're giving glory to God. But they ain't giving glory to God. Look how well I give glory to my God. I'm the best God glory giver ever. God don't play that game. He kills people like that. Which would revolutionize the National Football League, would it not? The next time some guy that's been out all week long sleeping with whoever he wants to sleep with and drinking whatever he wants to drink and saying whatever he wants to say and cussing in the huddle, let him cross the goal line and do this. <laughs> Game over. God doesn't play that game. Verse 24, the third but. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Do you see the contrast here? Herod thinks he's all that, gets eaten from the inside by worms. But the word of God is an unstoppable force. Third point. We pray again. We look again. If we believe the church is an unstoppable force, we need to consider again which side of that force we're on. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Jesus made this statement, whoever is not with him is against him. In the New Living Translation, here's how it reads. I love this. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. This is Jesus talking. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. 
So basically, we're talking about the force. The force is strong with this one, right? And if the church is an unstoppable force, Jesus is saying, uh, listen, here's the deal. There's only two sides of this. One, you're with me, or two, you're opposed to me. And if you're opposed to me, that means I have to be opposed to you. So we need to consider again which side of this force we're on, right? I don't want to be on the wrong side of that verse. Here are just a few people besides Herod that we just read about who have tried to oppose the force. Frederick Nietzsche, he was a philosopher. He's the first person that claimed that God was dead. Well, he got a lot of publicity for it. Actually, I think it was Newsweek or Time that ran an article that said, on the front cover, God is dead. came from this guy. He said that God was dead. He said that Christianity was for the weak. Let me just make this very, very clear. Christianity is for the weak. And I'm the weakest of all. And I'm so glad that it's for the weak. But he said it was for the weak and that God was dead. But he spent the last few years of his life insane. He's dead. Sinclair Lewis, you might not know that name. He was a Nobel Prize winning author. He wrote the novel Elmer Gentry, which was about an evangelist who drank and slept with women all the time. So he basically wrote a book about an evangelist to mock evangelists. And yet he died in a clinic near Rome as a hopeless alcoholic. Ernest Hemingway, an author. Mm. Probably a great author. His, his big quote was, write drunk, edit sober. <laughs> he said, I'll do anything I want. He lived his life recklessly, without consequence, but he ended his life shooting himself in the head with a shotgun. Listen, you, you can't mock God. We, we, we push as close to the mocking line as we can get, right? But you can't mock God. And we think of God being a mean jerk saying that. And he's like, listen, dude, don't mock me. Because if you mock me, it's not going to end well. And I want it to end well. God is saying, my church, my body is an unstoppable force. Please, get on the right side of it. I, I have sent my own son. I have made a way for you to be on the right side of that force. He, he's like the engineer that's out the window waving, get off the track, please. What does it mean? It means that if we're on the side of the church... We're always moving downstream instead of upstream. Second Chronicles 16.9 says that the Spirit goes throughout the earth seeking those hearts who are committed to God so that He can strongly support them. You ever tried to walk upstream? We, we do this as a family because we're weird. We go to the beach and the current, you know, you're playing in the water and eventually you look up and you're like, what, 20 hotels from where you're supposed to be? Normal people walk out of the water and walk up the beach. The Jenkins clan, because we ain't normal at all, we just turn and walk in the water. It takes us five hours or whatever, you know. It's hard to walk up against the current. Some of us are going against the current, and we don't have to be. The church is an unstoppable force. 
It means that we're going to go downstream instead of upstream. It means that we have the greatest player on our side. Romans chapter 8, 31. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So you're picking teams, right? You're in junior high again. And you're captain, and you didn't want to be captain, but they made you captain, so you got to make the first pick. And the first pick is always the really good guy or the really skinny, scrawny guy. It's always the good guy. Like the biggest guy in junior high is the guy that's got a beard, right? Dude, I don't know what you're taking, but you're on my team. Come on. High five. Awesome. Man, pick God. If he's for you, who can be against you? Because his church is an unstoppable force. So consider again what side of that force you're on. All right, here's a few things we can take away from the passage. I'm going to throw a couple of verses at you. Just write them down. One, if the church is an unstoppable force, it means it matters what side of the force we're on. Acts chapter 5, verse 39 says that opposing the church means that we're opposing God. James 4, 6 says that pride leads us to opposition. Humility leads to grace. It says in James 4, 6 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So you want to be on the right side? Because this is one you know, let's be practical, right? If we want to be on the right side of an unstoppable force, how do we do that? Humble ourselves and follow Christ. And when we do that, we put ourselves on that side. I love this. Here's, here's another practical takeaway. If the church is an unstoppable force, if the church is an unstoppable force, we have more allies than we do enemies. That's good to know. Luke chapter 9, verses 49 and 50. You'll see that even back in Luke, they had lots of different churches, and they all competed for the same people. Luke chapter 9, verses 49 and 50. It says, um, they're having this argument about who will be the greatest in verse 46. And in verse 49, John walks up to Jesus and says, Master, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Um, sir, he, he was driving out demons, but he wasn't wearing the orange I serve shirt. So we told him to stop it. I think he had on a green shirt. He's from the other team. What did Jesus say in verse 50? He said, don't stop them. For whoever is not against you is for you. If the church is an unstoppable force, guess what? We have more allies than we do enemies. And we usually see the world the other way around. We've got a lot of enemies, very few friends. But if this is true, if the church really is an unstoppable force, guess what? We have area churches that are on our side. You know how we know that? Because God doesn't compete against himself. We compete against each other. But did we just read that if we oppose them, then we also oppose God? And I don't want to do that. Now we're on the wrong side of the force. If the church is an unstoppable force, we have more allies than we do enemies. 
jot this down. We aren't in a race for more church members as much as we're in a fight for more family members. We aren't in a race for more church members as much as we're in a fight for more family members. If all of Stanley County bowed their knees and came to Jesus Christ and all of Stanley County said, we don't like the gathering, is that okay? Well, they're crazy, right? Because look at us, we're awesome. But that's okay because we're in a fight for more kingdom family members than we are for church members. We have more allies than we have enemies. And here's the last one. If the church is an unstoppable force, we can have more confidence in prayer. Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Um, Daniel has been praying, and he's, you ever had to wait a long time to get an answer? So he has to wait 21 days. He's still praying, and the angel finally shows up. And the angel says this, I'm paraphrasing, says this to Daniel. Hey, man, don't be afraid. Listen, from the moment you prayed, the answer was sent. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and they don't know if they hear you? I had a conversation the other day in a restaurant with a man that I thought was talking to me, but he turned his head and I realized he was on the phone. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Jerk. Dude, you're not driving your car. Take that thing off. You look like an idiot. (laughs) But we're having this conversation. Like, I I, I thought he heard me, but he didn't hear me. And it's like, you know, you're talking to somebody and they're they're not looking at you. You ever say that to somebody? Like, look at me when we're talking. <laughs> yeah, all the wives are like, oh, God, do I say that all the time? Like, Turn away from the TV. Focus, focus, right? Because we want to know that we're heard. He said, Daniel's wondering for 21 days, did he even hear me? And the angel shows up and says, not only did he hear you, but the moment he heard you, he sent the answer. The moment he heard, he sent the answer. What does that say? The church is an unstoppable force. The answer will come. Pray again. Look again. Consider again what side of that force you're going to be on. Because he has heard you. We have more confidence in prayer because the church cannot be stopped. 1 John 5, 15. We'll close with this verse. Oh, we need to start in verse 13. It's too good. Paul says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And let's just back up here for one second. You know what that means? Read the Bible. Do you know why the Bible's been written? It just said it right there. So that you may know that you have eternal life. You ever wonder if you're really saved? Okay, sometimes we wonder if we're really saved because we don't act like Christians. I get that. But if you're like following Jesus and you wake up and like, I don't I wonder if I'm really saved. Read the Bible. I have teenagers come into my office when I was a youth pastor, and they say, I just don't know if, I don't feel close to God. I, I just don't, I don't ever hear them. Church is boring. And I would, like, instead of saying, hey, well, let's get a bigger band, I would just go, so, like, how are your quiet times? My what? Like, the Bible? Oh, yeah, not too good. When's the last time you read the Bible? I'm guessing a month ago. Uh, Two? Yeah, okay, so 
read the Bible. Just read it. Get one you understand and read it because this says right here, he said, the reason I wrote this, the reason I wrote this was that you may know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he what? Hears us. The confidence is not that we get what we ask for. That's coming in the next verse. But the confidence is that he hears us. You never have to do this to God. Hey, don't look at the TV. I'm talking. He hears you. He hears. And this is a confidence that we have. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Well, that doesn't work. Because I asked him for a Ferrari. And I didn't get it. Not even a little model car. Well, I know that doesn't work because I asked him numerous times to help me win the lottery. And I hadn't won yet. But (laughs) then you didn't hear him. Because he's not into that. He's into you. He's into your heart. He's into the relationship he has with you. He's about the intimacy of the relationship. You hear him and he hears you. What would you pay? How much money would you pay to be heard by the most powerful person ever? I mean, I got to sit down last week for 50 minutes with Mark Batterson. Pretty cool. Some of you are like, who's Mark Batterson? He wrote The Circle Maker. He's a big deal. New York Times bestselling author. I'm in his office, me and him, sipping lattes and talking. I'm trying not to wet my pants, right? (laughs) You're so cool. (laughs) But we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about God. How much is it worth it to you to know that God hears you? And, And we would waste that precious truth on crap. God, help me lose five pounds. What? You stepped into an audience with a king and you brought that? This should revolutionize our prayer life. Because we know that he hears us. The cool thing about God is, if we did go into prayer with that, he still hears us. But I can guarantee you this, hang out with him long enough and it will change what you say when you know he hears you. It will become a whole lot less about me and you. It will become a whole lot more about his glory, about his kingdom, about his church that is unstoppable. And that's the takeaway from Acts chapter 12. Is that we serve a king who has a kingdom that is unstoppable. And if you and I are on the right side of that, we get to ride the wave. You ever body surf at the beach? It's so cool when you actually do get on top of the wave. It's not cool when you swim your guts out and miss it. But when you actually get there, and I body surf because I'm not cool enough to actually surf. So you have to settle for what you can do. You actually get up on that thing and you're like, just for a split second, looking out. Wow, I'm on top of a wave. This is fun. When I get on a raft and you do it, and like you just go all the way in until you're in the land of ankles. 
And people look up at you like, what are you doing here? I just rode the wave, dude. <laughs> it's awesome. It takes no effort. You just ride the wave. That's where we are. That's where we are. 